You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Excited to be here. I want to switch chairs here. This feels a little uncomfortable for me. I got a feeling. Oh, it, sh- it, it should. It <laughs> You're should. so excited, aren't you? You can't wait. It you should, can't wait. It should oh. feel. It should feel. You know, <laughs> sitting in a chair being asked questions when you're a professional question asker is a very difficult position to be in but you're going to do well i'm not going to muck it up for you i promise okay okay that that, you know and it's interesting because i knew you as a competitor when i was at ledger and choir and um and you know competed against you on stories and got beat a lot quite frankly i mean but we didn't cover east alabama as much as we you know, we started to pull back at the ledger from covering East Alabama, particularly the Auburn Opelika area that you're so well versed in. Right. But you know, I I had a res- I built a respect for you there, and then coming over here at WRBL for the last two and a half plus years, I've seen your work ethic and I've seen how you go about getting stories. And you know, I'd say this whether you're sitting in front of me or not, you you are an incredibly talented journalist, but you work harder particularly online stuff and things than, than most, than, than most. I mean, you've got a work ethic that's pretty much unmatched and around these parts. Back at um, you, my friend, back at you. And that means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Well, when did you, tell me a little bit about you. You you grew up you, you live in Auburn. Okay, <laughs> lay down on the couch. It's time to get deep with Elizabeth White, which scares me. I'm gonna. I know your job is to get me to be as open and as honest as possible, which I'm not used to doing. So I'm gonna do my best. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You live in Auburn, but yes. you, you did not grow up in Auburn, even though you're an Auburn graduate, right? No, but I feel like I. D- in a way, I feel like I did grow up in Auburn because I went to Auburn University, obviously, when I was 18 years old. I'm 43 now. Wow. So I do feel like, in a way, I grew up in Auburn, and I love Auburn, and I consider that my home. But, no, I'm a Stone Mountain girl, Parkview High School, uh, Camp Creek Elementary, Trickham Middle School, and, and Parkview High School. Played at GSA, soccer athlete growing up. Um, and then moved to Auburn, and we kind of call it the Bermuda Triangle in a good way. Is you know, oftentimes when people go to Auburn, they never leave, and that's where you know I met the man that I am now married to, and we have two wonderful children. And my parents moved to Auburn for their retirement, and it's home, and I love it so much. You know, it's it's interesting because there's sort of people don't realize it, but there's a pipeline from Atlanta yeah, to Auburn. Eighty five, two hours, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there are a lot of a lot of people. I mean, I think the at largest out of state um, uh, booster club for any school in Atlanta is Auburn. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's a huge Auburn, North Carolina. There's but. a huge Auburn fan base in Atlanta because they like kind of the perks of the big city and being close to the airport. But at the same time, they love being, you know, an hour and a half, two hours away from tailgating at Jordan Hare Stadium and, you know, going out to the bars, the great restaurants that we have in Auburn. And it's been wonderful to see Auburn really explode, especially in the food scene. Um, we have some fantastic restaurants there, and, and people like living near Auburn. Again, it's like the Bermuda Triangle. If you can't live well, there, you want to live kind of near there. Auburn does have some great home-owned, yeah. home-operated. What's your favorite? Acre. Acre? love all of them, and I love Byron's Barbecue. Love Byron's Barbecue, but Acre is my favorite. Um, 
dear friends with the Bancroft. So we have watched them build that restaurant and that legacy with their own two hands. I know personally what they do behind the scenes to help out in the community and their food is just delicious. So when you add those three things together, uh, to me, you reap what you sow and they have given so much back to their community in terms of service and delicious food and they're just wonderful people and it's awesome to see their dreams come true right now especially in a COVID economy to watch them uh succeed in that has just been awesome you know acre is one of the restaurants when you talk to people about trying to get homegrown type restaurants right. in columbus acre is acre or something out yeah. of that acre family it's amazing would they would Everybody says well, it, it would work here. And Byron, I got I got to give a shout out to Byron's Barbecue. You know, when I was 18 years old, Byron's Barbecue was kind of in a little shack. I went there and Byron's was literally, I mean, this room is bigger than Byron's. And then they moved to the Dairy Queen and they, you know, rehabbed that facility. So we've been knowing Glenn and them forever. And when I was pregnant with Mason, the joke was is I craved their pickles. And so whatever call and order I did... Um, they would always, and to this day, you know, 12 years later, I still get an extra side of pickles from Byron's Barbecue. And that is what makes Auburn so special pickles? right there. Pickles, the fact that they know when I was pregnant with Mason that I love their pickles. The fact that they know that about me and when I walk in, I feel like I'm eating with family is just incredible. And that's what makes Auburn so unique is that it is big and it is diverse because of the university, but the small town Southern charm and really love your neighbor that you get in Auburn is just, it's undeniable. It's incredible. So so you went to Auburn. You, uh, yeah, sorry, we got off on a uh, food got, tangent there we, for a while. Oh man, I, I'll yeah. talk food all day with you. Acre's a great restaurant yeah, too. Yeah, I do like it. Um, when you when you went to Auburn, yes. was your intention to major in journalism? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, we had an incident when I was in high school. Uh, a pretty violent crime happened at our at our high school involving one of our high school football coaches. And I distinctly remember the reporters coming to our school and and watching the coverage. And there was one particular reporter that did it so well and so kind and 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 so loving towards the family. And I thought you know, I could probably do that. And so driving over, you know, to Auburn University with my mom and my dad, who were just the best people I've ever known and will ever know in my life, my mom said, what about mass communications? What about journalism? And I'm one of these people that when I decide to do something, very rarely do I change my mind. I, I don't like change very well. And so I got into my classes and I met people like, you know, Emmett Wynn and Susan Brinson and Rick Smith if you know any of them, and Susan Filippelli and these incredible professors. And the more I got in, you know, outside of my core classes into my journalism classes and mass communication classes, I just fell in love with it. Was never really a strong writer. Um, That's come, you know, after years and years of practice. But the investigative part, the digging part, and just being a people person and meeting people and sharing their stories. And I, you know, I have the gift of gab. Have you heard of that before? I was a horrible journalist when I first started out 21 years ago, but I could talk to people and I'm genuinely interested in people and that's never changed. You know, that's one of the things you can see when young journalists come in here, you can see the ones that are afraid to just cold walk up somebody and talk to them. And you see the ones that aren't. Absolutely. And you know, and you know, it's, it's, 
it becomes there's an it factor that comes with it and you can't be afraid of people or cold calling you know people or walking up to literally strangers on the street and we call it the mos man on the street Mm -hmm. interviews and asking them like this is somebody you've never met before and you're walking up to them with a camera and a microphone and and asking them you know sometimes a personal question and you can't be shy and afraid of that and you have to have an ability to instantly connect with somebody and make them know 100% without a doubt that they can trust you and there are certain people that are really good at that and I feel like that's one of my strengths I might not be the strongest writer um, but I'm really good at, at, at talking to people and hopefully earning their trust and keeping their trust and that's all I've tried to do this past 21 years so you know and that's kind of this is sort of the jumping off point now to uh, to where I want to talk journalism with you and I yeah. think this is going to be a lengthy thing define journalism who, what, when, where, why, how? Simple as that. But figuring those out is not simple. It's hard. That's the fun part, though. That's the challenge. That's the pulling at a thread and getting a string and, and working a source or digging up a court document. Or um, that's the challenge, and, and that's the digging part that, that brings out this competitive side that I love. So the who, what, when, where, why, how, the basic foundation of journalism is very simple. But like you said, finding out that information can be the challenge. But when you, you know what it feels like to get a tip, you know, at 10 o'clock at night and then pitch it in the 830 morning meeting and saying, and then turning that tip, like a, a Facebook message that you get and, and confirming it with official sources or court documents or an interview, and then turning that tip into a top story at 5, 5.30, and 6, there's nothing better than that. And having it first before anybody else, that's cool. That's Is fun. that the athlete in you? Yep, that's, that's it. it. That's, that's the, the jock. competitive, yeah, that's the jock right there. That is the, um, that's the jock. Because, yes. you know, the thing about it is sometimes I'm competitive to a fault. Yeah. I mean, I can tell, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to win. I want to crush. Right. I mean, in in it sometimes can be unhealthy. Do you ever right. get that feeling? I think when I was younger and I wasn't as sure of myself and as confident, but now it was a pride thing. But now, while I I'm more competitive with myself now than anything, and I have really enjoyed watching others outside of our industry um, take, you know, a social media page or um, a blog and do really well. And I love my friends calling me right now. <laughs> Silence it really quick. One of my favorite friends. Um, obviously, they don't know you're on the chart. I know. Leave, so. Obviously not. She should. Um, uh, but no, I, I'm competitive, but hopefully with myself. Um, I don't really go after the likes and the follows and the shares as much as I just want to tell a good story. And if I happen to be the first one that tells it, that feels really good. But I just want to do good journalism and then hopefully help others in the business, whether they whether they work for our station or they work for another station. I just want to help them tell good stories too. Because at the end of the day, it is a public service and it's a vital one, you know? And it's one that's come under fire. I mean, Oh, my goodness. I mean... You know that. I mean, you felt <laughs> that. Yeah, and it it ain't fun. How do I'm, you deal with it? Uh, you know, I'm not. 
nothing of me ever really prepared to be an enemy of the people. I mean, because mm-hmm. I consider myself somebody who works for the people. I'm an advocate for you. Yeah, I mean, you know. Public servant. You know, early on in COVID, I mean, I was taking people that were having trouble getting tests and and pushing hard into the governor's mm-hmm. office and stuff on some of them because, like, they come back from Disney World stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and COVID has changed everything. I mean, it's changed everything. You know that. I, I do, mean, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, when you deal with what we deal with, I mean, you know, and I'll go back, and, and I hope this is fair, but you and I are used to getting information. We know who to call. We know if we get stonewalled one place, we'll go another place. We'll go. I mean, we'll go we pivot. up. We'll we pivot. pivot. We pivot. Yeah. And you know, I know we both dealt with nursing home situations where we were getting stonewalled. Right. And you know, and as you pivot, you kind of. I mean. When do you know it's time to pivot when you're doing a story? Is it the first time you say, "Okay, I've hit a roadblock," or is it when you when do you when do you when do you pivot? When do you when do you start going, "Okay, I got to go at this this way," or "I got to go at this that way"? Well, it's interesting. I hope I never put myself into a position where I haven't called four or five different sources. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Because I know on the off chance, especially in the early days of COVID, you know, everybody was still trying to figure out where we were at in this thing, right? I w- I've never covered a pandemic before, and they had never handled a pandemic before. So I think there was a sense of compassion, I hope, on my end, trying to let people get information and have time to figure out a statement. But I think after you wait five, six hours, sometimes an entire weekend to get information, then you're like, okay, you know, you got to give me something here. And um, in that particular case, they actually brought in somebody uh, to kind of handle media relations for them. And from that point on, it's been easy breezy communicating with them and all the wonderful things that they've done. And I think nine times out of 10, when I call somebody and they don't want to give me information, it's because they are intimidated. They are worried they're going to say something wrong. They're worried that I'm going to spin it in a way that they don't think is true or valid. And I hate that. You know, I hate that COVID has brought out so much distrust in sources that I typically don't talk to. Now, the sources that you and I have been talking to for decades now, 21 years, those sources, they know me, they've worked with me, they trust me. And you know, it's, we know how it goes, but the new sources that I'm speaking with, I feel like it it takes a long time to get their trust, and so I try to let it breathe a little bit. I try to be as upfront and honest as I can be, and uh, I always make sure that the statement or the quote or the interview that they do with me, um, the way they have said it is the way that it comes out on air. I never pull a fast one on anybody because... If I pull a fast one on somebody, especially as a local journalist that's been here for 21 years, I'm going to burn my bridges really quick. Then nobody's going to trust me, and I'm not going anywhere. Then they're not going to talk to me anymore. So um, I say it like they say it. I present it the way they tell it. And there's no spin on my end. It's literally what they say is what our viewer sees. That's the best way to do it. What's the biggest misconception among sources and general public about what we do? I think people forget that I'm not sharing my opinion. I am sharing 
if, if we're talking about COVID here. And we're t- oh, talking about just in, in general. general in it's gen- not my opinion. It's not me. This is other sources. These are direct sound bites and interviews with people. It's not my opinion. Um, my opinion should never be in a story. Um, and so I think that's the biggest misconception and, and that they see a story and automatically think that, you know, I either sympathize with it and I, I don't, I'm literally just sharing with you what this person said. It's not my opinion. It's what was said and, and obviously what I need to share. I think that's a huge misconception. Do you agree with me? To some degree. I think we all, I mean, I know we, as hard as we try, sometimes our personal, our personal bias or our personal thought right. on something can sl- can slip in, and I know that you know. I know you. I know I fight that. I mean, I don't know if you fight that as much. I think I fight it so much that sometimes I go the other way. Have you ever found that to be oh, the case? Many, many times. Right. Many times. And so it's funny because I could ha- I could do one story right, and I'll have someone say, "Oh, she's a Republican." I'll say, "Someone, oh, she's a Democrat," and they say, "Oh, she's an Independent." And like people just don't know if I'm coming. And like, I wish sometimes that people would stop trying to figure me out and just read the story, take the information, use it, don't use it, but just leave me out of it. Does that make sense? But you can't. It's easier to do that on the newspaper side where you're a byline. Mm-hmm. But, you know. And it's funny, you know, we have a feed service that, you know, we share stories from the AP wire or we share stories that, you know, from other markets in, you know, the next star nation. And even if I'm not on, my name's not even on the byline. It's a whole nother reporter's name. Even I didn't do the story, people are like, Elizabeth White. Yeah, you know, that's been one of my awakenings in this whole thing is, you become what you share to your social media audience. And, you know, and that's, you know, that causes you pause. You may not share something you would normally share because when people look at it, it's like, okay, well, they shared this, you know, this story on politics or that story. Well, that must be how they feel. And see, I don't feel that way. I share it no matter what. I don't, obviously, you know, I want every... Everybody wants to be liked, but at the end of the day, I'm going to share the story no matter what. You've built, when we talk about sharing stories, you've built an amazing social media network. Um, you know, you got, what, 60? That was luck, though. That, I think that was luck. No, it how? was luck. Cause, how? Okay, because I'm a dinosaur. I've been doing this for 21 years, right? So I did it. I was in the business when we didn't even know what social media was. And then Facebook comes along right and it was considered a time waster at work we weren't allowed to have you know Facebook pages then all of a sudden they realized the power that could be harnessed via social media right so we had to get Facebook pages and I just happened to be the first person in the market that started doing Facebook lives and so very rapidly those Facebook lives brought in viewers I'd take people inside breaking news situations and reporting it was very exciting too because I'm already you know a decade into my career and all of a sudden here's this whole new platform and I loved going live on TV and now I could bring people live on TV not just for a minute 30 seconds but for however long I wanted to I could say as much as I wanted to say without a producer wrapping me up in my ear and that was so much fun I loved that part and then people really got in tune with that so I think it was luck that I have such a big following or I got a really big boost because I was just really the first person to do it and then I was 
the first person to really figure out how to do it well. And then it just kind of built from there. Well, it really did. And, you know, and you talk about you don't have a minute 30. I mean, that's the, that's been the toughest part of my adjustment is going to minute 30, minute 15, whatever, whatever ends up. But, you know, you talk about no limit on the Facebook lives. I mean, I remember you did what a six, five or six hour Facebook live when the officer was shot in Auburn a couple of years ago. Yeah, so when uh, Justin Sanders was shot, he survived, praise God. Um, and then when, you know, Will Beekner, yeah. when he passed away and the other officers were shot as well, yeah, it was. Because I, I don't want to leave until. And there was a manhunt in that There one. was a manhunt. Um, and they got him. I don't want to leave until it's over or I can at least share some kind of answer because I know I am especially for you know law enforcement I know a lot of the spouses and law enforcement family follow the page and can you imagine that happening and I and I see them I know their names and I know they're watching and so and I know they can't call their loved one or they may not know where their loved one is and so I know they're watching me for information and um, I consider that a huge responsibility when law enforcement they're watching and, and their and their loved ones are I, watching. In a I saw that like at that. the funeral with you um, at Officer Beatner's funeral when um, you I was you and I were covering it. You were the lead and I was doing doing parts of it. And a guy came up that apparently had come through Auburn and he was in an FBI field office somewhere. And he thanked you for doing. He was an FBI agent. He thanked yeah. you for that Facebook live. Because he said that he was following it and his family was following it through the night. And, you know, I mean, so, I mean, I heard it. I mean, I heard one of the guys that, and I don't know if I'm recalling it exactly right, but I think I am. It is, yes. Um, it has been the greatest honor of my career. And I will say this because I, you asked me what the biggest misconception is about what we do. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the community that respects what law enforcement does as much as a local news reporter. Because we, these are men and women we talk to every day when we make our beat calls. Some of them I've been speaking with for 20 plus years. I see what they do day in and day out. I see the pressure that they're under. I see when they don't make it home at the end of their shift. And I know their families. And so, unfortunately, people assume that the media and law enforcement don't get along. And that's just not the case that I've ever found reporting on law enforcement in East Alabama. 99.9% of the interactions that law enforcement have in our area with the public is positive, right? You might be getting a speeding ticket. You may not like it, but it's positive. And then when the bad things do happen, if they do happen, I feel like our local law enforcement are very forthright and forthcoming with information. I found that in East Alabama. And that's because we have spent so much time building up a professional working relationship that is built on trust and mutual respect. And there's no group that I respect more um, than law enforcement. And, and, and when we're doing it right, when the media and local journalists do it right and work well with law enforcement, then our objective is one and the same. We just want to give you information that can protect yourself and your community, and it works well. I'll take one of your law enforcement guys over in Lee County, right. uh, Sheriff Jay Jones. Um, 
you will call Jay up when you don't even have a story just to talk because that way every time you're not calling him, you're saying, hey, I need this or I need that. Right. You'll just call to talk to Jay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, yeah, I mean, you know, he, when I was a young reporter, um, you know, he was the person that told me that there was a difference between a Lee County Sheriff's deputy and an Auburn police officer. I didn't know the difference between a deputy <laughs> and an officer, and that's pretty critical, right, when you're reporting. And so, um, you know, I know Jay really well. I know his wife, Judy. I know his family. He knows mine. And, um, yeah, he's been an incredible uh, professional role model for me and a mentor. But at the same time, when I've got to do my job and he may not like it that I have to do my job, I do my job. And we and he may not like it, but again, it's that mutual respect, that professional courtesy that I get my job done, and we both respect each other enough to be able to, you know, get a story done, and then at the end of the day, still be uh, friends. So because not er- you know not every call you make is a pleasant one. No, the, no. you know, I mean, and, you know, and you know. I mean, Jay, some of Jay's deputies screw up. I mean, people make mistakes. And well, and the, what I think, what I respect so much about our local law enforcement leaders is that they are. I feel like very open when a mistake happens. There's been very few times that I've gotten a tip um, and that I call um, about a story that they haven't just been, you know, a fountain of information. And so I, I feel like they want to be transparent. And I feel like, you know, I've had just as much to do with that as they have is that I've treated them right. I've been fair. It's not gotcha journalism. You know, it is what it is and the who, what, when, where, why, how, and we put it out and and the people can see what the story is all about when they see it. So that makes sense. It does. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, it really, well, I mean, not really, but if you, What's the toughest cop story you ever covered? Oh, I mean, William Beekner or James Anderson, the Lee County Sheriff's Office. Um, was he the one that was run over uh, over in Smith's? Yeah, I remember that. I, 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 think I know exactly where I was when it happened when we got the call. Where remember were the trial? I was up in Valley. It had flooded up there I was up there covering doing a live shot there when we heard about it and then came down and um it's horrible and uh that's one thing people I remember go ahead no go ahead go ahead I remember they were looking for and I've never told this story publicly before but um the black bands that they put on their shield I remember they were looking for them and my sweet mother-in-law she had got the and sewed them and and dropped off a lot of them to cover their shields. That was the first time that had happened in um locally in our area. Was and it was just horrible. It's horrible. So Yeah. Yeah, it, that's it, the hardest story. When an officer or a deputy doesn't come home safe to their family. You know, you were touched. You said when when officer or deputy Anderson was run over um and I think that had a Columbus tie. I think the guy that w- was a Columbus guy that did that, um, if I remember the story. Um, Gregory but, Lance Anderson. It was Gregory Lance. Yeah. yeah, I remember you the name. still trap my memory. When, but it was Greg, yeah. Henderson. What? It was Henderson. Henderson. Gregory, Henderson. It's w. It, was James Hen- it was Henderson. When people... Yeah. People don't realize that sometimes you can be middle, in the middle of what you think is a big story. I mean, a 
flooding in valleys a big story. And then all of a sudden, our world can change. Your world, our world can change in a hurry, can it? On a dime. On a dime. Uh, and you're never quite prepared for it, no matter how many times you cover tragedy or, you know, acts of Mother Nature that you hope to never see again. Um, you still feel a great sense of loss or overwhelmed and I think the minute that I stop feeling those very human emotions that I've absolutely just detached because my soul and my spirit can't handle it anymore can't handle the you know the heartache and the heartbreak of it all um, I think the minute I don't feel like that anymore and I can just stuff it down so deep that I just compartmentalize it and it's pushed away. The minute I don't feel just raw human emotion associated with a tragedy, I need to get out of this business. Well, you know, just in the two and a half years I've been working here and watching you, I mean, you've had more than your fair share of tragedy. You had Anaya Blanchard. You had Officer Beekner's shooting death. And then Mark Sanders was shot. And and, and then you had March 3rd. I mean, you mean, you've seen, you, you, I mean, you've been on the tragedy beat. COVID. COVID. Yep. It hasn't. Like, I just, East Alabama has just taken, you know, lick after lick after lick. And it really has bruised so many spirits. Not, I mean, not my, I mean, it's it hurts me. But, again, this business brings quite a hefty dose of perspective, doesn't it? And um, days that I think I'm, you know, having a hard day because maybe somebody has posted something mean on social media, this business has a way of saying, "Uh uh-uh, we we are not going to feel sorry for ourselves today because you recognize the tragedies that others have lived through, are still living through, and you realize just how fragile life is and how much we have to be thankful for and that tomorrow isn't promised. So that's been the greatest gift I think journalism has given to me is a healthy dose of perspective and just how absolutely fortunate I am. So what were you doing early afternoon, March 3rd? It was a Sunday. It was 2019, Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. What was well, the storm came in, and we saw it on the radar. Obviously, we had y'all turned on, listening to yeah. Bob and Cody, and I think Jeff was here. Jeff was Jeff's still here. here he was. Um, and we have a storm shelter um, because, you know, we've covered, I had covered, you know, tornadoes before and seen the damage. We have a storm shelter in our basement, and some friends had come over um, with their children and to stay with us and then got the call that um, we needed to go to to Beauregard. And um, it's actually the friend that just called me. Um, Her husband is a, she's just such a dear, wonderful friend of mine. I love her so much. And her her husband is a firefighter. And I said, I need to go. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to go out there too just to see if I can help. And so we went out and, um, you know, I went one way and he went another and, so y'all followed each other? No, we rode in the same car oh, wow. through the second storm that was coming in. And um, we rode together because we didn't know. we Well, we knew what we were going to find by that point. Um, yeah, we knew it was going to be bad. And um, so he gets out and I get out. And just to, you just kind of do, 
circles there for a second because it looked like a bomb had gone off and it was just horrible. And, it, you know, this is 15 minutes from my house. We still had another storm coming in. I'm really worried about my kiddos. Um, and at that point in time, I knew that the devastation would be unlike anything we had ever seen. I mean, I remember I was working in here and trying to get information, and I remember the first call. You, you said, and I can't remember the exact number, you you said there are three confirmed dead, and then you go, but that number is going to rise quickly. And, you know, and she said, you said that's not for publication yet, but we'll go with three dead right now, but know that number is going to change up quick. And, you know, and I, and I hung up the phone, and I was like, Liz says this thing's really fixing to escalate. And everybody in the room just sort of kind of looked up. I mean, because that was the first kind of shot or first communication we got in here that, hey, this may be a – I mean, three dead is catastrophic. Oh, my but, God. But, but, God. but you know, 20 – I mean, 20 – Well, then when you when – you, you see it, and I can't even like the the images and the the video and the Facebook lives. Like it didn't even encompass just just the absolute magnitude of what had come through. Because there are things area. we don't show on the. Oh, air. absolutely no, no, no. When in doubt, leave it out. And that was one of the because, and then you don't know. Okay, how do I? Because at that point in time, it's not even a story anymore. It's just absolutely this catastrophic thing and you know it's happened to my my community like I'm a neighbor there just 15 minutes from my house these are your people these are my people you know and um so you just it 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 was it was awful and it's still awful and there's I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think about it um and what these just wonderful families had to go through and go through every single day of their life. So when, when you get on the scene like that and you're processing information, you're also a human and you know, what, As you're processing that information, the visuals you're seeing, the, the stuff that official sources are telling you, at what point do you start to say, whoa, this is more than I can handle? Or does it hit you in a point where we're all human? I mean, we all are. I mean. Well, there was a job to be done. Right. And yep. so, and there were supplies that were needed. And I think that's, that's when I felt the most at peace because there's, it's, cause almost you feel like a voyeur. Do you know what I mean? Like here are these. You're getting to watch. Right. Because I just got there and I'm getting to watch this absolute, you know, this is, a literal nightmare and I hate to say that because it's such a cliche and we avoid that phrase at all cost in the business but it was, it was a, a nightmare. nightmare and so and you feel like just such, I felt like such a bump on the log and just like just hitting there holding my phone and talking and 
you know, I think I asked everybody if they were okay, but it was just, um, just felt helpless to help, you know. But then when first responders said, well, we need generators, we need gloves, we need tarps, we you need water. You do it. Okay, it. I, I can do that. And that started feeling like I'm not just this person, just, you know, I could help. I could help. And at the same time, um, there was a point where this sweet grandma, and I won't say her name, but she's just the sweetest little lady, and I just love her so much, met with her granddaughter, right? Didn't know that grandma was okay, and they hug, and there was just this moment there that I will never forget, and just so thankful that that reunion happened, and um, just feel so sorry for, you know, this 23 men, women, and children, and especially the mamas. I've become friends with uh some of the mothers who you built some relationships lost children and i love and i love them dearly and a a daddy too and um i love them dearly very much and when i've had a it's so it's it's interesting if i've had a bad day or i maybe post something on my personal page um they are the first ones to reach out and offer support and kindness and love so i know ty might be listening right now but i just love her dearly so this this is something we talked about, and I hope you're okay with me bringing it up. But you won a lot of accolades. You won a lot of awards for your coverage of March 3rd. I mean, you you're, you were at your best. How does it feel to know that your best day in your profession was the worst day some other people will ever have in their lives? You know, you and I have talked about that Yep. at length, and um, it just – I still have a hard time reconciling that. I don't, I, I remember being at a wedding and, um, and someone said, oh, I saw you on network news. I saw you on, on CNN. And for a split second, that made me feel, you know, cause for a local small town journalist, that's a big deal when you go on network TV. And uh, I was excited for a split second. And then you realize the only reason I was on network TV is because, you know, an 18-year-old beautiful college freshman by the name of Lauren Burke was kidnapped and killed by Farmville Baptist Church, you know, kidnapped from a parking lot at Auburn and uh, dumped out near a church that's now probably two minutes from my home. And you, so very quickly, again, you understand that the days that I am at my best and using all the tools that I've honed and sharpened over, you know, 21 years, the days I'm at my best is the day that someone's life is crumbling apart and will never be the same ever again. And that's hard to, to reconcile. And the only way I can do it is that I try to be treat people the way I would want to be treated. Right. Um, if there's a way that I can help them, I try to help them by, you know, raising money or donations or, you know, GoFundMe accounts. Um, But because the, the platform has a lot of power to reach people and to help people in need. And so I think that's the only way I can come in and do something like this is because I know, well, I can help maybe just a little bit. Maybe I can throw that pebble into the middle of that pond and 
a ripple of kindness will wash over these people when they are so in need and, and maybe I can start a way of helping them. So that's been a way that's been a way. And that, that's a, that's a really good answer. And I appreciate your honesty on that because, you know, I mean, that's how one, do you handle it? I haven't had, I've covered some bad things, but I've, you know, I've been, my stuff has been, malfeasance and and so you know you know maybe government misspending and stuff i mean you know i've covered some tragedies and and as all always but you know it's like in i'll give you an example a person that had gotten in a lot of trouble in columbus uh um i was writing regularly about it and they were in a meet a room where a number of Columbus elected officials, including counselors, were. And the person walked up to me and they said, "Thanks for throwing me under the bus today." And they were clearly trying to embarrass me in front of the elected officials. I stopped and I said, "Whoa, wait a minute! I didn't throw you under a bus. You jumped underneath." No, no. I said, "I showed up." <laughs> You were under the bus. It was all over you. All I did was tell people about it. And that really is the truth. It that is. I mean, it's the truth. It's like, I didn't make you do that. Yeah, I mean. You know, I, when, in terms of, you know, covering, you know, sus- suspects and, 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 and defendants, like, I didn't make you allegedly do that. I'm just here covering it. You know, covering murder trials is difficult. It's gotten harder. Yeah. And I guess, though, when you get older – and you have your family, you have your wife, your kids. You start to see some of these things, and you you, you can't. A dad. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a girl dad. I'm yeah. every, I'm every I'm every bit of girl dad, and um and uh, you, you know, it's like, I mean, uh, there's some there's some things I can't cover anymore, and I've pretty much figured that out. I feel your kids are grown. Yes. Okay. Oh, I've got uh, I've got three daughters and a son. Uh, uh, um, when Kathy and I got married, seventeen years, eighteen years ago, uh, she was putting two out the front door, and I brought two in the back door. So, so, so. God bless Kathy. Yeah, God bless her. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, best thing ever happened to me. But you know, we we were, you know, they are grown, but. They're, I've got littles. How, how old are I? So Mason is 12. Avery is 10 going on 56, I would say. She's pretty <laughs> She's pretty wise. Um, yeah, but she, you know, she's a little bit like you, isn't she? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for her dad. Um, she is. She is a lot like me. And um, Mason is so sweet. I've always said, you know, you know, Avery's going to be either an attorney general somewhere or a dictator of a small country. <laughs> and Mason will be my youth pastor. He loves uh-huh. the Lord. Avery loves the Lord, but Mason has a really special relationship. Um, he'll be a youth pastor or, you know, some sort of tech guy. or But they're just the best things ever. In and the you're world. in the coolest phase right now, the ballpark phase. It's a good of, phase. Of we parenting. Baseball I mean, both and of them. softball. And, and um, Avery does a lot of tumbling. And it's I'm very loud. 
as a parent. So what do you think about Cindy I'm coming so, to Auburn? And I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I, we cannot wait to go and watch her try to grab some tickets. Um, how cool was that, right? Yeah. How cool was that? And everything happens for a reason. I, I love that uh, you know, mental health awareness was brought to the forefront uh, with this Olympics. I yeah. thought that was amazing, and I thought it 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 – paved the way for this other amazing Auburn University athlete to really shine. And I saw it as women loving on women and, you know, shining their light on others and, and supporting each other. I know, are we running out of time? I feel like we're running out of time. I love it when women support, I love it when women support other women. And I saw that and I feel a connection to that because, you know, she is coming to Auburn University. I love it. I think, Women are so powerful, and when we can support and love one another and boost each other up, whether it be on the athletic field or in the workplace or in the home as moms, I love that. I love that. And Why are some guys afraid of strong women? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're a strong woman. I mean, I know – I mean. I right. love being around strong women. My wife's a very strong woman. Right. But some guys don't handle it very well. I don't know. Why it maybe that needs to be like a whole <laughs> new maybe we need to bring in a, a gentleman who has a hard time handling strong women. But that's a fair question. Yeah. I don't know. Some you of, see it. I mean well, you you see it. Some of I have been told I uh, Go, I, go, how go. do you? I don't know how. I don't know how people see. I don't know how people see me. Some. I mean, I know what you're they a, tell me, but I mean, I see you as a tough bra. I know. You're a tough bra. Right. I mean, it's fine, and yeah. and I love that. But and this was this was this is fabulous. So a couple years ago, someone sent me a meme, and it said, "And this is how I feel." So my personality is who I am, and my attitude depends on who you are. And I very much mirror people, how they are interacting with me. I mirror them, right? And so if you want to be open and kind and funny and and respectful, I love that. That's how I would prefer to interact with people and and stay on that path. But if you want to get off that path and get a little dirty, then I can mud ride. And that's that's what I always said. I go mudding. You didn't learn to mud at Stone Mountain, Georgia. In a professional way, no. uh, No. That's a Lee County. The first time ever, you know, and I'm, the first time I ever shot a a 12-gauge shotgun was with my my now husband. And so, you know, he's a southern boy, you know, from from Notasolga, Alabama. And uh, the joke is, is that my parents gave us Waterford. His parents gave me a 12-gauge shotgun, which they did, and I love it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he is the fisherman and the hunter, and he can back a trailer, which I don't know why. I thought that was fabulous when I was, a, you know, a young girl that he could. <laughs> you were uh, sold because yeah, you could get a trailer in a tight spot. Travis is good. I mean, you know, I get a lot of junk and a lot of heat sometimes, and he really just lets it roll off his back. He's very confident with who he is and he's an incredible father. And I also have a dad that, you know, I'm fortunate that I've been surrounded by some really strong women in my life. You should meet my mom and you should meet my daughter. But also I've been surrounded by really strong male influences that have really brought out, you know, they've appreciated the aggressiveness and the confidence, you know, from my wonderful daddy, um, my brilliant older brother, 
Um, or you're a daddy's girl. Soccer co- I'm a daddy's girl and I'm also a mama's girl. I'm both. I am both. I love my, you know how much I love my daddy more than anything. It's his voice in my head that I hear when I'm making a difficult decision always. And then it's his voice that I hear, but it's my mom that I call after I've made that difficult decision to run it, you know, by her. So I am very much, I, I'm in love with my parents. I love them you became a really strong advocate for your dad last year. I love them when, more than they have just, you know, they just gave so much to my brother and myself and they love our spouses and they help out with our, you know, I couldn't work the way I work without a significant amount of, of support and help. And, um, with the kids, my in-laws, yes, with the kids and they are just, um, and it's so, I love watching them grandparent, right? Because I recognize now why I love my mom and dad as much as I do, because I get to see them parent because they really are, they are such strong influences in my children's life because they spend so much time with them. So I get to see, oh, that's why I love them unconditionally. Okay. And that's a really special thing. So yes, my dad get, did get very sick with COVID. Thank God he's doing well. We're fully vaccinated. And, um, but yeah, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my mom and dad. Your dad was at a Columbus hospital yeah. and, and I he know because I, I brought you some coats. God and love you. Yeah, was, but you God would not you. leave Thank the you. park. You couldn't no. go in. But you would not leave the parking lot of that hospital until you knew he had turned a corner, right? right? Until I knew that they had hung plasma, right? And then remdesivir is what I wanted. I knew I wouldn't leave because I was so worried that something would go wrong. And I don't know if I had you know, delusions that I would just run into the hospital past. I mean, I don't know. I, I was worried that something would go wrong and that my dad would be alone and I'm so mad at you right now. Um, (laughs) Um, I didn't want my dad to be alone. And I think so many other families that are listening to this understand what that feels like and how bad that sucks, especially when you're a control freak, you know, person and um, who is a fixer for people. And when you can't fix a situation for your dad or be there to hold their hand, it sucks. But you know, all the, I say sucked. (laughs) (laughs) is that okay uh you know all of your reporting that has impressed me the thing that impressed me the most about you was the way you fought for your father and you you used friends and stuff and just wouldn't leave despite the fact that you couldn't go i mean you know that that told me everything i need to know about liz white that was well and when you and kathy sent over a plate of the most (laughs) delicious food i've ever had and a diet coke that i hadn't had you know because this started like two o'clock in the morning and and you brought me food i think it was like what four or five i can't remember it was dinner but we'd been there the whole entire time i I had been there and um yeah the food was delicious and it it told me a lot about you and kathy and i so appreciate that aside of it i mean i just you know i realized you i realized you were in a point you were you were in a very tough situation because because you were scared to death. Scared to death, one hundred percent. Because this, you know, this is back in July now yeah. when we are, you know, still trying ago. to figure a, a year ago. ago. And uh, you know, Dad had an ex- exceptional care uh, a a young man by the name of Seth uh, saved my dad's life, 
and without a doubt by making, was he a nurse a nurse and the most and and everybody did i yeah. just says sticks out because he was you know that that phone that voice because you can't be in there right yeah and so he was that connection because dad was too weak to facetime by that point and he was really the connection and then you know my brother's a geneticist uh his wife works at emory uh we have dear friends that work at, at johns hopkins and really it was all hands on deck uh of what to do the test the the treatments the therapy piece, the prone position on his stomach, you know, this is all so new to us. And they helped us understand the medical jargon that we would need to arm ourselves with the best possible care for my dad. That was a personal situation, but it you was. used your journalistic skills. Absolutely. I mean, you use what you do I'm as a great journal. Re- I'm a great researcher. And I know I'm most of the time the dumbest person in the room all the time. I'm going to the experts, right? And I'm going to, you know, Dr. Frederick Cam, who has been my doctor since I was 18 at Auburn University, who runs a medical clinic over there. I'm asking him for advice. Um, all the wonderful Dr. Maldonado at East Alabama Medical Center, a brilliant infectious uh, doctor who knows COVID in and out because he's been at the bedside of those struggling with it. So I know I'm the dumbest person in the room, and it's my job to listen to the experts and what they tell me. And that's how I can best care for my dad. And I think that's very important in today's climate when reporting and covering COVID that, you know, let's let the the experts talk and more importantly, the local experts that we know and we trust that have been caring for us way before COVID even became a thing. And, that, and you've done a really, really good job of that. Thank you. Uh, so have you. Uh, so I'm have not you. so sure, but, you know, one of the things. I think you've done an excellent job. Don't doubt yourself. You've been well, fabulous. Well, you know, COVID has given us all doubts about everything a lot of times. I mean, I'm I'm just ready to see what the world without a COVID. That's about, I just, do you ever feel like, because I feel like, you know, after 9-11, I felt a sense of unity in the country. Did you? Oh, no question. I mean, it was, I mean... You know, what was the Toby Keith anthem that came out of that? Oh. Um, and but, Uncle Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and the statue. Yeah. And it's not yeah, that's yeah, it. That, that's it. So that's, I keep waiting for that to it happen. But But why? That's, I just, you know, I just. A, I mean, I watched today the, a Republican governor in a, room full of chamber of commerce types from all over Georgia, literally begging them to go get the vaccine. And they, and they, to the point that even they, the state brought the mobile vaccine lab to Columbus. I watched a Republican Senator from Alabama who used to be a football coach at Auburn university, have a Facebook live with three, you know, of the top docs in Al- in Alabama answering questions about COVID-19 and the vaccines. I watched yeah. Tommy Tuberville do that today. I I just don't know what else we can do to share factual information from local experts and um you know, I it's, I just know what COVID's like and yeah. I never wish that HE double hockey sticks on Anybody it, else on my worst it, enemy? It has been. It has been. Parts of it have been a living hell. There's no question. When you, you said it, I did. I did. I, you said I think it. I can get away with it on that one, right, Dylan? Okay, okay. good. I'm glad. Um, well, we're it. This hour's gone by, and no. I, I knew it. Would, I knew it would. But I mean, 
we're at a point, and I purposely didn't tell you I do this, and I don't think you've listened to many of the podcasts, so you probably don't know what I'm about to do. Uh, I call it turn the tables, and um, I get to ask I, you a question. Yeah. Okay. How has it been? And I don't know if this has already been asked or not. So if this well, is an unoriginal it, question, let me know. How has it been going from print to TV journalism? It's been, most people has anybody asked yeah, that it, before? They have. That's oh, what. No. That's the most. That's been the most probably the most asked question because it at 59 years old it wasn't a it wasn't a natural transition. Okay, I, then I, w- I want okay. a new chance. I want a okay. new chance because if, if you've already answered that. If you could be anything other than a journalist, what would you be? Has anybody asked that? Yeah. I mean no, 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 they haven't. No, they haven't. Okay, um, good. Okay. Uh The quick answer is lawyer, but What kind of lawyer? There's so uh, many nowadays. I mean, you know, like contract, sports uh, agent, yeah. divorce, First criminal amend- trial, First, First, First Amendment. Amendment. First Amendment. Um, First Amendment. First Amendment now. I mean, I would have never known that without 30 years in this business. But, you know, if Do you feel like could, it's harder I, I, to well, get information now? I do. Yeah, oh, I do. I do. I do but, too. I mean, and I guess I if you ask me if I could have done anything other than what I've done, the one regret I one regret I have is that the younger me didn't go the ROTC route. I think I, I wish I had had now being here in Fort B- in Columbus and seeing Fort Benning and right. all the amazing leaders that come through and stuff. I think the younger me would have benefited greatly from military service. I think it would have toughened me and grown me in a way that I, that took years to get there that I would have gotten there a lot quicker. I wish but, you know, I was coming, you know, I was born in 1960. You know, I was, a, I was you know, 8, 9, 10 years old, 11, 12 during Vietnam. Right. So by the time, you know, you get to 78, 79, I'm in a, graduating from high school, it's, you know, because of Vietnam and the stigma that it had put there, you know, it probably wasn't a consideration that it should have been. Well, so my dad, Vietnam veteran, my yep. dad. Um, yep. But I will say in the way that you cover Fort Benning and the generals and the stories that you do, you can tell that you have such a reverence for it and such a a love for that. And isn't that, I and, think it shines through in your work that you do when you cover well, Fort Benning. And thank you for that. I, well, I appreciate that. And I, I think that's one, I mean, that's one of the things that has translated pretty well to the, from the TV, to, or the newspaper, or the TV side. But, you know, not, but it's, it's, it's interesting because it, early in my career as a sports writer, I covered a lot of NASCAR and I didn't know a carburetor from anything. And but, now, can you but, change your oil now? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. But, check. but. I know personalities, and NASCAR was a personality-driven sport. Absolutely. If you really look at, you know, there's certainly the nuts and bolts military stories, but if you look at it, a lot of the military stories are personality stories. And, you know, you look at these personalities, like these the two amazing women, three amazing women, um, Grice Haver and Jaster, who were the first female Rangers. I had the privilege of getting to know them and also covering them. And, you know, and you saw that. So These are extraordinary people. 
who are doing extraordinary things and acts of, of bravery and, and courage, and, and they're not afraid to get into the arena, you know? And, and, that's and kind I of, respect that. And that's kind of what draws you to law enforcement, I think. Absolutely. I think it's the same, you know, it's the same, you know, military, paramilitary. Well, we have. Are we, we done? We almost. Oh, we did good. You gotta, you gotta hang around a minute. You gotta hang around. But we have been talking to Elizabeth White. Liz is a reporter at WRBL. We, she spent 21 years in this market. Uh, the majority of it was at our competitor WTVM, and yeah. then their loss was our gain about what four years ago. Yeah. So she she switch, she made the move over here and has flourished as an East Alabama reporter. And, you know, this has been good to me to kind of, and I hope the regular people have understood kind of that there is a human side to us. I mean, what you see on TV or stuff, I mean, there's a real human side to this. And, Absolutely. And these stories do take toll sometimes. Well, and that's what I love about working at WRBL is that I feel like I am seen as – you know, the daughter of Dennis and Joan, the mother of Mason Avery, and um, not just Elizabeth White, who turns, you know, five packages and posts 20 web stories a day. You feel like you're a human being. And in this day and age during COVID and, you know, all the other challenges that we face, it's nice to be with family. Well, and it really is a family feel. And I think both of us, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn on you, but I think we both owe a great deal to David Hart because oh because David saw I mean he obviously knew what you could do but he he took chances on both of us in ways that he put us into this environment and we're now you know we're the two most senior reporters over here well there's the- a reason his last name is Hart <laughs> and that's what I've always said and you know David at one point I was thanking him for something and he said you know besides my family and making sure they are okay and safe and provided for my next goal in life is to make sure you guys are, are taken care of and provided for. And he believes that. And it's not just something he says, it's something that he acts on. And uh, we are super duper blessed to work with him and, and everybody I'm blessed to work with you. I'm, you have no idea how many times, I mean, if people really knew how our conversations go yeah. sometimes, we'd both be fired. I think we uh, would too. Well, this is another episode of the Chuck Williams Show. Let's go to the social media. and Okay, Chuck Williams Show can be heard Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 on WRBL.com. This will replay. You'll be Liz looking at herself. She can't not look at the monitor. Look at that. Uh, this will end up uh, on a replay. You'll be able to play it back, and um, I hope you do. You can also catch it. You will soon be able to catch it on Spotify, Apple, and Audible. Is Audible going to happen? Dylan Hanson. Maybe not. Wonderful <laughs> Probably not. Okay. So you'll be able to, we'll, we're going to clean this graphic up. Okay. Social yes. media. Uh, I shouldn't even say social media because I'm with the social media queen here. Uh, Twitter at Chuck Williams. Uh, Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL. And uh, the um, Instagram account is Chuck Williams 0999. You want to throw your social medias out there real no, quick? No, I don't. No. <laughs> Just be nice and be kind. Be nice and be kind. Thank you for the opportunity. I had a blast. Well, thanks, Liz, and enjoy this. And uh, we'll be back next week with somebody to talk about something because it ain't about me. It's about (laughs) who we're talking to. Thanks for listening to the Chuck Williams Show.